Okay, I've, I've taken a deep breath. Serenity now. Serenity now. Oh, you were meditating over there during the break. I couldn't figure it out. You just was, were silent. I was pacing. A near comatose state. I want to I wanna objectively break down what happened with Indiana and Penn State, and no one better to do that than, of course, the longtime radio voice of the Hoosiers who joins us on the program, Don Fisher, who seemingly needs no introduction in the state of Indiana, but I did one for him anyway. Um <laughs> Don, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I try to, to be like, an, you know, the sun's out. You know, we feel like we've broken through a little bit on the weather. Uh, but that was just a huge letdown against Penn State. And I think to me the thing that, that is troublesome is that you got good scoring and good play out of the three guys that you should be getting it out of. It just kind of was the rest of the cast. I, to put it simply, Don, what happened? Well, I wish I knew. Obviously, uh, nobody seems to be able to figure it out other than the, the Mike Woodson said it was a, you know, we came out flat in the second half. But honestly, uh, this is an ongoing issue. It's been ongoing throughout the season at times. Uh, a team that hasn't really been able to beat anybody by a significant margin in the entire season. Uh I think maybe their biggest win was a 17 or an 18 point victory over a ball club, a mid-major back in December. So it's a team right now that is just, it's, it's hard to identify what their personality is, uh, what their strength is at this point. Uh, the fact that defensively uh, in this ball game, they gave up 12, three point field goals to a team that is not a great three-point shooting ball club, or at least they haven't shown that up to this point. And they shoot 54% of the game from the three-point line with 12 threes. Uh, and that, to me, is it's a defensive issue more than anything else. Uh, you've got to be able to get up on people. And Indiana so, showed that they can do that at times this year, but there's no consistency to it. And that's the biggest issue I see where Indiana, uh, you know, the last couple of years, you could count on the defense to play well, even when the offense didn't. This year, that is not the case. And I can't answer the question as to why. Obviously, these players aren't getting the job done. Um, obviously, the coaching staff is trying to get these guys to understand what, they're, what they've got to do and how much effort they've got to put into it. But it's just, it's not, they're not getting through to them or, uh, I, I well, I can't even say or because I don't know what the or would be at this point. It's just it's a ball club right now that is just not playing well. And when you have a ball game like you had against Illinois that gives you some hope, even though they lost that contest, then you beat Iowa, and it wasn't a it was a good performance in the first half until the last five minutes, and then they turned the ball over a couple of times and let an eleven point lead slip to four at halftime. And yet they get, then they trail in the second half and still come back and win the ball game. So you see some things that are bright spots, but the negatives by far outweigh the, the positives in this game against Penn State because it's a ball club that Penn State, they're not a great team. They play differently than anybody else in the league. And obviously they're a ball club that can beat you if you don't put your best effort. And without question, Indiana didn't even come close to that on Saturday. Don, are we – and and gosh darn it, I, I don't want to sound like one of the two old guys at the end of the Muppet Show here, right? But I'm about to, I guess. I, is there a challenge, Don, in the NIL era? And I mean this is no knock or attack on anybody's personality or scruples, but is there a challenge if you're using NIL enticement to get a player to come to your program 
to then get that player in the same capacity to understand the commitments and at times the sacrifices that need to be made for the best of a team effort as opposed to individual effort? Well, that's a question for somebody with a much higher grade level than I have because uh, I, I have not liked NIL since it came into play because I just thought it would taint college basketball in so many different ways. And I'm certainly seeing that with this Indiana basketball team. And I, 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 I don't want to just place it on Indiana because look at what's happened at Ohio State this year. They're playing poorly. Uh, you've got a bunch of other teams that have gotten better because of the uh, the transfer portal and the NIL money, I assume. Um, I just think it has tainted everything in college basketball. Uh, we had people screaming for 10 or 15 years uh, you know, media types and talking heads talking about the fact these players ought to be paid and all these kinds of things. I've never agreed with that because they are getting paid. They're getting full salary. Totally agree. I, I totally you agree. Know? Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. And, I mean, Don, here's it, the thing, and I don't know that people understand this. I know you do, but for those that are listening, a, a player that is on scholarship gets a, a check – each month for the equivalency of living in the dormitory, like the room and board of the, of the said university. So if they're living in an apartment with a couple of buddies, they're getting more than just the, you know what I mean? There is plenty of pocket money there to go around, right? Oh, no question. And and here's the other thing. The stipends today are much different than they were, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, the stipends today are somewhere around five to $9,000 a year as a stipend these kids get on top of the scholarship money and all the other perks that comes with being a college athlete. And again, I'm not taking anything away from the fact, look, I understand that if somebody is a great player out there and they're using his likeness or his image and all those kinds of things in some capacity to sell jerseys or whatever the case, maybe he should get some of that. But this, this has gone beyond that. NIL has changed everything in that context. And if a team is playing poorly at some point now, as Indiana is right at this point, what, there's no motivation to play better. They're still getting paid. They're still getting this money. It's guaranteed money. So you can't take it away from them. So what's, what's the motivation to be a really good basketball player at the college level if you're getting $400,000 a year? I mean, what's the, what's the motivation? Well, well, I want to go to the NBA. See, that's, well, that would be the motivation, but that's that's the wrong motivation. And, Don, in addition to that, and I want to make sure that, that people understand, I'm not, and I know you're not either, we're not talking about like a specific case here at Indiana, right? But just in general, the, the, right. the challenge that I have, Don, is that if you're going out and getting a kid that, that is going to get $400,000 to play for you and he has sights on the NBA, then I think you run into the crux of – He's going out on the floor wanting to develop his NBA game, and that may not be the best game for what State U needs in that particular game. And, and, and to me, it's visible, and you can see it at times. Is that fair? No, it's, it's totally fair. I mean, we've seen guys before NIL and the transfer portal came into play that were playing for their NBA career. I mean, uh, and one of my great examples of that is Thomas Bryant. I mean, he was a guy that wanted to show, shoot three-pointers all the time when it wasn't in the best interest of the people. Not in the sense that he was a bad player. He wasn't. He was a very good player for Indiana. But the guy had NBA potential. He knew it. And I guarantee he was playing for that NBA potential rather than playing for the Indiana basketball team. That's just my feeling. Totally agree. 
Totally agree. Voice the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, I'm not speaking for you here. I'm speaking for myself and as an IU alum and an IU fan. I felt like the tournament hopes died two weeks ago. They most certainly died against Penn State in terms of this season, unless they are totally redefining their identity and showing something they have not shown this entire season. That said, and I don't want to cross NIL with this, even though it might impact it to some degree, they're 13-9 and on the year. The season itself, in terms of just the morale from afar, reminds me of the Archie Miller years, which is not what I thought possible underneath Mike Woodson. When you look at the upcoming games the rest of the season, Ohio State, Purdue, Northwestern, Nebraska, two on the road, two at home, is there a real danger of the bottom falling out on this thing? Well, there's no question about that. I don't know who it's Ken Palm or these guys that do analytics, all these kinds of things have indicated that Indiana will not be a favored team in any game they play the rest of the year. So uh, all I can tell you at this point is this team has got to come together. They have got to start playing much better at the defensive end of the floor. Um, you, you've got guys like Khalil Ware and Malik Renew who are giving you pretty much everything that they've got. I, I give Khalil Ware a lot of credit for how hard he's playing at this point. Uh, how do you score 17 points in the first half, though, and only come up with eight in the second half? Well, you're not getting the basketball. And I don't see – that's that's not a player issue. That's that's where the – it is a player issue in the sense that they didn't get the ball, but why isn't he getting the ball? And I got timeouts that will tell you, you better get him the ball, you know? I, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm at my wit's end in the sense of, of what this team has been able to show at times and what they're not showing most of the time. That's the biggest issue with this basketball team right now. Don, is it too harsh for me to say, and maybe sometimes you don't know this until you can actually go out and see how groups work together, but is it too harsh for me to say, and and feel free to tell me that this is way off base, that this team has talent but is just not properly constructed? Again, Jake, I don't. I'm not a coach, and I, I I'm not qualified to make that that kind of an observation. To be honest with you, I, I know what I see. I just don't see the effort uh, on a consistent basis, and I don't see the defensive play that we've gotten used to over the last couple of years under Woodson. Uh, it's just not happening for this basketball team, and and we're not getting much out of the bench at this point. Uh, Walker, who's been probably our most consistent bench player, plays no minutes in the second half. None. Well, decision. He obviously saw something he didn't like because there's nothing wrong with Anthony Walker from a physical standpoint. Um, It's just not happening with this ball club right now. And how do you get that turned around? I can't answer that question because that's a question for the players themselves. They're the only ones that get this thing turned along with executing what the coaches ask them to do. Lastly, Don, in terms of this season, and I know it's one game, right? I, you know, listen, although the, the it's trending certainly in a bad direction, but Indiana, to me, my concern is there really aren't many opportunities to get quality wins now on your resume for Selection Sunday. And maybe that's so far gone, I'm being overly optimistic, but did that loss on Saturday run the risk now of just kind of breaking Indiana's season and having the towel thrown in? Well, we'll find out because we've got a week, a week upcoming that's going to be very treacherous, to say the least. You've got Ohio State coming your way tomorrow night, a ball club that Indiana beat and, and played really well against uh, when they were playing their best basketball. Ohio State was 12-2 and when Indiana played them the first time. 
back, I think, on January the 6th. And since then, Ohio State's gone in the tank. They were 1-7 and seven in their last eight ball games. Uh, and Indiana at this juncture obviously is a little better than that, but it could get a lot worse if they don't win that ball game in Columbus tomorrow night. And let's face facts here, Indiana has won one road game this year that was against Wisconsin or against uh, uh, Michigan back in December. So winning on the road of the Big Ten we know is very difficult if you're playing some of your best basketball. Ask Northwestern and Purdue. <laughs> so all I can tell you at this juncture uh, is this basketball team has got to find a way to turn it around or it could turn into a real disaster here at the end. Don, I forget the total name of it. I think it's like Hudson Institute or something, but up by Cathedral High School. If you were a Northsider, then you and I could just start meeting there and tackle the rest of the world's problems in our think tank together, right? Because <laughs> I'll be damned we got it all figured out, don't we? I, I don't really have anything figured out. All I know is I can just tell you what I see. I've never been an X and O guy. I think I've told you guys this before. Uh, all I know is what I see, and what I see right now is not promising. Well, Don, we appreciate the time as always and totally and, – and I really appreciate the perspectives on, on NIL because you got a front-row seat to it. I totally agree with you um, and in, in, enjoy and appreciate the conversation today. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Thanks, guys. Appreciate right. it. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Life is full of things to manage – your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Mike Chappell is the dean of writers and media members when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts. He was basically covering them the second they got off the Mayflower, if you will. Joins us on the program. Mike, I'm going to begin with this away from Colts news, I guess. And that is a topic that was probably more so towards the end of last week. We now, you know, we knew it was going to be a certainty. But were you surprised that the coaching cycle went its way through without Bill Belichick landing somewhere else? Only, I mean, the resume, I was surprised like he had two interviews with Atlanta. I mean, what would the first one have been? I mean, you know, I I beat you guys when you had me 28 to 3. I don't know. I have to believe that at some level, the the Falcons. I think he's the only team that they interviewed. He interviewed with. He wanted he wanted more control than they were willing to give him. I, I, what the hell else do you see it? I, I he's got the resume now. It, it, it's hard to reset long term with Bill Belichick because of his age. Short term, yes. I just have to believe it. You know, when when it came to nut cutting time, it was he wanted more control of the franchise than Arthur Blank was willing to give him. I also wondered if, if this is really speculative, Mike, and I guess we wouldn't know this, but, you know, is it possible that Belichick basically said, look, uh, you know, I've got to have a quarterback and I don't believe the guys you have on the roster are the quarterback. And they said, well, that's, that's the guys we want to go with. And because to me at his age, and I don't mean to be an ageist, but at his age, he's probably not going to want to start over with a quarterback where he's building from scratch. I would assume that he wants one that is kind of turnkey and go, right? Well, and, and but but he's talking to him. I would hope they had a discussion that that the Falcons also believe they need a quarterback. I mean, they can't they can't believe they've got their guy in the future at all. So, I mean, they had to be in agreement. Now, 
understand you need a quarterback is one thing, and getting that guy is something else. Whether you're going to start doing what the Colts did, and that's you know recycling every year with whatever veteran you could bring in, which is not the way Belichick would want to do it. Uh, I, I saw one mock draft that had five quarterbacks taken in the top, gosh, 20. Uh, I, I realize these will, these will change between now and late April. But they, there would be there would be possibilities to reload. I mean, Michael Penix went in like the second round of this mock draft, primarily because of the injury issue. But I, I always thought that he would go somewhere where he had a quarterback, same with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, the, the, the Chargers made such such perfect sense from the start because of Justin Herbert. So I, all of that probably, but I would certainly hope that the Falcons said, yeah, we need to fix this quarterback thing, and, and we're going to do that. I, I, it's hard for me to believe that Belichick said, you need to fix your quarterback, and Atlanta said, no, we got our guy, because they don't have their guy by all appearances. So it's one of those I don't know that we're ever going to know what happened. Belichick's not even, you know, not one of those warm and fuzzy guys that will go to Peter King and say this is why it didn't work. Uh, but it's really interesting that, you know, he and Mike Vrabel, you know, Mike Rabel's now got the year off, apparently, which I thought he might go somewhere. But uh, it's 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 teams are looking for certain things. And I just think that Belichick, while the resume is, is undeniable, undeniable, although he's not, he's, it's not as great without Tom Brady. I mean, let's be honest you're right. about no, that. No, you're right. So, so there had to be questions. I, I just didn't understand – one interview, yes. Two interviews, and you still haven't got a deal. That there had to be something there that, you know, the old it wasn't the right fit. Whatever fit means, it it wasn't there in Atlanta for Belichick. Both ways. Chap, I realize that D line isn't always the sexiest aspect of football, especially for the casual fan. But I know you, among others, reporting today that the Colts add pitch Charlie Partridge long-time successful college D-line coach to their ranks in that same position. It's a great piece up on Fox9.com from the very own Mike Chapel himself recapping this hire. What do you make of it? What's your initial reaction to it? How does it help the Colts in 2024? Well, we'll see. He's got, he's got the, the resume again. I, I was surprised they made the change. Uh, I thought Ollie did a pretty good job. I mean, I thought everybody on the defensive line, everybody had their best season of their career, you know, including uh, Ekubon, who they brought in as a free agent. So whether it was a personality thing, whether Gus and Steichen just wanted their own guy, uh, however, but they're bringing in a guy that whatever you put into it, he's a two-time defensive line coach of the year by was it football scoop. And there's so many of those things out there. I, I assume that's a pretty big deal. And they've had some good success. So yeah, it's it's you know what's really crazy. And this is this is no reflection on the Colts hires. They've had, you know they'll, they'll add a couple other guys before long. But if you, if you look at social media, all of these coaching hires, colleges, and in the NFL, these are all great hires. This is a perfect fit for this guy. And this is hey, this is going to be this. And then two years later, you know, they, they make changes whether it's assistants or head coaches. I mean, the head coaching hires are unbelievable, the turnover. It's like every three years, you know, two-thirds of the league have new coaches. 
So uh, Optimum is always high. I, I remember there's been times that Colts have hired this wide receiver coach, that wide receiver coach, not Reggie Wayne, but Pryor. And, well, this guy's really big on, you know, running routes with the way they're supposed to be run and detailing, you know, fundamentals and all that. And then they change. So we'll see. I, You know, Reggie's been one of the better hires they've had over the years because, you know, yes, he's played, but he, but he relate not only he played, but he's, he relates, relates to the players. And maybe that's, you know, 80% of the job is relating to, to, to your, to the position group because you're, you're with them every day and you're, you're, you're having the hard discussions every day. So I, I hopefully this is a, this is, a, these will be nice additions of the Colts staff and the guys you're bringing back can continue again. The, the biggest hire, the biggest addition last year, maybe to the team, we'll see what I'm talking coaching staff, was Tony Sperano. You talk to these players, and like Ryan Kelly told us, you know, we'll run through a wall for this guy. I'm not sure that was the case with the previous guy. So coaching, you know, yes, it's a player's league, but so many times you see players do not develop under certain coaches, and some coaches they do. Hopefully, Steichen's putting together a pretty good staff. Chap, I think a year ago, many people, myself included, were happy that they retained Gus Bradley. The defense the year before, it felt like a group that you wouldn't want to fully upend. And last year, of course, they did not perform. But I think a large part of the blame would look at who's playing in the secondary. Did Chris Bauer really do the best of his abilities to set that defense up for success? Where is that balancing act this offseason between Chris Bauer and the need to better equip that defense, especially on the back end, versus Gus Bradley being a holdover from the previous regime? Well, as far as the players go, I mean, they they, they went the way they did going young with the draft picks, what was three draft picks, and they kept two that started at the end of the year, and young elsewhere with the idea that maybe they would really see benefits of this year in 2024. So, you know, I, I, that's still a position in need. It is, uh, whether it's a veteran, whether it's a draft pick, safety's a position needs for the secondary still very much needs needs work and needs additions. That includes perhaps re-signing Kenny Moore, who is sort of like the, the glue that keeps that group together. So, yeah, and I sort of got the impression that Chris Ballard wanted somewhat of a different approach on defense, uh, more aggression. I don't know. I, I, just from when we talked to him after the season – that there might be some tweaks philosophically, although sometimes a coach is who a coach is. You know, you know, Tom Moore never changed his approach. Now I realize he had elite talent with Indy, but but whenever wherever he's been, uh, he, he's adapted his scheme to players. You know, it's it's a players' league from as far as Tom Moore is concerned. So we might see changes somewhat, but whether we'll be able to notice it that much, you know, watching, I don't know. But I thought, again, I thought the D-line played really well. I still, I'm one of those guys, I wish they had a guy and a, and then a bunch of complimentary pieces as opposed to, you know, four or five guys with seven or eight sacks. I'd rather have a guy that I know is week out, week out is going to demand attention and still going to get me some uh, disruptive plays. That's not what they've got right now. I, I don't know if Quiddy Pay and Dio will ever be that you know that lead dog type of guy, but if you add a, a top level guy to that group, I mean, my goodness, what what might it be? 
So pro- probably a little bit of both, but they're obviously satisfied with Gus or he wouldn't be back. Mike Chappell is our guest. Of course, he is with WXIN 59 and CBS 4 talking about the Colts in the NFL. Uh, Mike, let's say hypothetically you're walking down the street. We'll use our genie analogy again or, or scenario. Genie pops out of a bottle. He says, all right, Mike, here's the deal. You can pick one of two things here. You can either agree that Michael Pittman Jr. is re-signed and brought back long-term to the Indianapolis Colts, and if that happens, you get 10000 bucks. Or you can say, no, they are not going to re-sign him. He's going to sign elsewhere. They're going to lose out on him. And if that happens, you get a hundred grand. Which one do you take? Me? Yep. Which one do you th- – What's that? I take a grand because then I'd probably retire and not worry about it. Then I wouldn't care. Well, but what, uh, no, what I'm saying is if you, if you go with that, in other words, you only get 10% the price if he does indeed re-sign. But that seems to – does that seem to be the safe play – because of the fact that it seems a certainty. Is there any chance he walks is what I'm getting at? I don't think so. I, I just don't think so because if that's the case, you, you, you've always got to have plan B. We always talk about this, and I ad nauseum that you can cut everybody, but then you got to replace everybody. And it's easy to say, hey, let, let, let Michael Pittman walk. We need, we, need more, we need Justin Jefferson. We need Jamar Chase. We need something else. But once you cut him, then you got to replace him. And first of all, I don't, I don't want to diminish Michael Pittman at all. I, I, I don't think he's top 10. He probably hovers around 12 or 13. But if you let him walk, how do you replace him? With a draft pick? How risky is that? With a, with a, with a free agent? First, you don't know who's going to be out there. Because you're not going to know who's going to franchise whom or, you know, T. Higgins and all these guys, Mike Evans. So, and you're going to overpay for that guy. You know, you're going to overpay for Michael Pittman because that's what you do. And that's what the market at receiver says. So I just, I see very little chance of him not being here. To me, the question is, is it with a tag or a long-term deal? And I think that's what they have to decide. Mike, are they going to have, if they wanted to, and and I, I do think chap or that, that, Pittman stays, right? They re-sign him, they come to an agreement, whatever else. Are they going to have the flexibility or interest to then go out and get not only Michael Pittman Jr., but a second receiver as well? Yes. Both. They'll have the flexibility cap-wise and probably money-wise and I think the interest in the need. I mean, I, I, bringing Michael Pittman back to me is, is like a, almost a no-brainer because there's there's no one on the roster where you can say, well, this guy's ready. You know, it's not like with it's not like with Marvin and Reggie, where when Marvin was about done, well, we've got Reggie, or like when Reggie was about done, they had Ty. Correct. Yeah, yeah. There was a there, natural handoff in all of those, yeah, right? And there's no handoff here. There just there just isn't. So if they were in a better position roster wise, maybe. Maybe they would consider that, but but they can't because because they're not. So that's why I say worst case he's back here on the franchise tag, which is I don't know twenty one million, and then we can get into when does he show up and you know which is if he's not here for the off season program and all that, then it's going to hurt development with with the quarterback. But I just don't know again that they've taken any measures to be without him. 
and that sort of strengthens Pittman's stance a little bit. Uh, but I always go back to you're, you're going to overpay for free agents, whether it's Shaq Leonard or Braden Smith or, or, or Jonathan Taylor or Grover Stewart or whomever. I would rather overpay for somebody that I really, really have a good grip on as opposed to somebody who you vet, but you just don't know how will he fit in? What's his, you know, what's his motor really like? So I just think everything that's, that's transpired tells you that they have to bring Pittman back. And the only question again is going to be on, on, on what type of a deal. And I, I hope, I think the Colts will be, Re- I hate to use the word reasonable because there's nothing reasonable about contracts. But when when Chris Ballard said about the, the the receiver market, he says it is what it is, and if it costs $4 to put cash in your car, that's what you do. So it sort of told me that they understand this is going to be, you know, more of a player-friendly deal than a team-friendly deal. But at the same time, Michael Pittman has to be whatever that reasonable term is. Now, if he comes in here wanting – 25 26 million it's it's going to be tough it just is i think i mean top, at that point you tag him don't you like if well, the tag it, is like it, 23 it gets, it, yeah if it gets to the point where it you just think he's being unreasonable and and Pittman could do that i, I mean he, he he understands the importance of a free of this first free agent deal cuz it's going to set him and his grandkids up forever right uh yeah i i think but but again i i think the Colts will be reasonable whatever that means. And, but if, and, and if Pittman just comes in and says, you know, because I think the top 12 receivers, they average right around 20 million. The top five might be 25. I had to look at it again. Take Tyreek Hill off the list because he's, he's that aberration that comes up every now and then. But will they be willing to give him that kind of money? What What might drive it? Maybe Pittman takes less per year because he gets more up front. As far as I'm concerned, upfront money is, is is what you want. Uh, so, but we'll see if both sides are are quote reasonable. This gets done. If one side's not, then worst case, it's a it's a franchise tag. Yeah, just to clarify that before I get to the next question, Dean Mike Chapel, Fox Nine and CBS Four is our guest. I've brought it up before. Jake just brought it up there, and you kind of alluded to it at the end. They would use the tag if it comes down to it. That's not. It's not a negotiation of oh well, we don't want to disgruntle him. We don't want a disgruntled star around. We're going to let him walk because somebody paid him twenty eight million a year. That, that that is on the table as you understand it. Well, yeah. When we talked to Ballard, he said, "Yeah, it's a tool." And somebody said, "Well, well w- would you be worried about ramifications? Which means him not being here for a certain amount of time?" And he said, "No, we're not. We wouldn't. That wouldn't keep us from using it." But you know, teams generally, if they, if they really want a player back, they that, that's like the, the the tool of last resort. But but it's 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 in there for a reason, and players bitch are known about it. But players players agreed to this to this bargaining agreement. They, they, they agreed to it, and the reason they agreed to this these franchise tags, which is restrictive to the to the elite players, to the top level players, is because. You know, eighty percent of the uh, uh, of the union doesn't care about the, the franchise tag because they're never going to be involved with. It. They wanted they they wanted something else, so they gave they gave into the to the franchise tag, which I understand. If I, if I'm the fiftieth player on the roster, I'm not going to go to war 
so that the, the, the quarterback or the receiver gets top money. I could care less about that. I want to get my quicker to free agency, more health, more health care, whatever. But so, so again, the bottom line is this only involves, gosh, at most 10 players a year, as far as maybe having to play into the franchise thing. And that's probably too many, but uh, it's, it's a tool. And Ballard made it clear that it's a tool. And if they have to use it, they will, but it's something they would prefer not to, if they don't need to. Chap, you've been around this sport, not just the team, but the sport as a whole for quite some time, and you've seen more than I'll ever process about the game. So I ask you this because it's become, to some extent, a mockery, especially before they made the switch to this new style of the event. But a two-part question. One, did you subject yourself to any of the Pro Bowl yesterday? And if the answer is no or yes either way, the last year they had this thing where it wasn't flag football or it was supposed to be a real game, you'd have offensive and defensive linemen basically doing handshakes when the ball was snapped. There was no real effort put forward when the pads were suited up. There wasn't a ton of effort in this flag football aspect of it, but it felt about as good as you would get in terms of what this game is with pads being off the table. So A, did you watch any of the Pro Bowl? And B, with what it is now, with the mini games and all that, versus what it was where... Why are they even suiting up? Do you feel like it's an improvement? Probably an improvement. I watch probably 90 seconds because I tend to channel surf from the best college basketball game on at the time and then just interest in, in but not very long. It did, because I, I think it's, I think it's entertaining and I'm going to be interested in what the, what the ratings will be. It'll still probably be higher than most NBA games if you want to use that as a judge. So everybody bitches and moans about how bad the Pro Bowl is and then, you know, X number of people watch it. But it's it's probably the one sport that you just can't – it's so hard to have a game because more – now, early on, I, I can still remember back in the Marshall Falk days, he got – he was like MVP. Oh, it was a big was deal. Rookie. He set the record for most rushing played, yards, right? Oh, and he had a – it was either a fake punt or something because the veterans were out there – half-assing it, and Marshall's playing. He's playing football. But it's it's just too many guys can get hurt. I can remember back, and I always date myself, uh, they played one of these one of these ancillary games where it was, it was beach it was beach football. And a Buffalo rookie, Robert Edwards, a running was, back, really... He was New England, wasn't he? Robert Edwards? I thought it was Buffalo, maybe New England. I thought it was Buffalo, whatever. And he, he blew out every ligament in his knee. And probably never came back and played at a very high level. So it's just hard to do that. I would rather see dodgeball and accuracy passing as opposed to trying to put them on a game where, like you said, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, they stand up, play patty cake, and then. The mini games were fun, chap, to your point. Like they did tug of war, they, they did sled yeah. pushes, they, they had like okay. big, big. Okay. No, I'm sorry, they had big offensive and defensive linemen running through an agility drill. Like it was. I, I watched more than I'm proud of, okay? I'm going to admit it's, it here. I watched funny. more than I'm proud watching, of. I was, watching, I was watching some of the agility drills where they go in and out in the cones and all this, and it reminded me of I, my, my daughter's got me into watching the New York Kennel Club occasionally. <laughs> okay. And you see these little dogs, these corkies or whatever, going in and out and doing these weaves. I'm thinking, holy crap, these, guys, these dogs would knock the combine out, out the door. That's right. Do you think that's what the league was going for with their skills challenge? Think that was the market they wanted to corner? <laughs> I mean, my my daughter would probably watch it then. 
So, but but I, I think they've done about as much to tweak it as they can with what they've got. So good for them. It, 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 anything beats the, the 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 trying to act like this is a game when everyone knows it's not a game. And it, I, I know I remember a lot of times players would go to the Pro Bowl because it was in it was in Honolulu, and they like to have that week with their family and all that. And well, if we're here, we better try to do something. But you know whether it whether it maintains that appeal in Orlando, we'll see. But I think they've done as much with it as they can, considering the, the type of sport you're trying to deal with in, in an all-star setting. Mike, I'm going to ask you one thing on the way out here that has nothing to do with anything we've talked about in terms of the NFL or the Pro Bowl. You ready? Ready. I'll probably do this to you every so often, but I think sometimes there are certain people or certain gifts or certain legacies that just need to be kept around because people enjoy it or because they they just were so different. Right. So within that capacity, in terms of safe for radio, give me your best moment that defined Robin Miller and made him different. Oh, wow. Uh, walking down the New Jersey Turnpike after going to uh, Atlantic City when the Colts were playing the Giants, I'm sure, and, and our, our, our taxi cab essentially blew up. The, the, the brakes went out, on, and, and our taxi was on fire. And we got out on the Turnpike, and we're Ed Harding. I can't think of who the guy was with Channel 8. We're walking down the Jersey Turnpike and with a six-pack of beer, and we get in a beat-up station wagon with some guy from Deliverance, and he's got a (laughs) German Shepherd caged in the back, and we got in that guy's car because Robin thought it was a good idea. (laughs) And I'm still alive to talk about it, and at the time I thought I was going to die. Now here's the thing, chap. For those that don't know Robin Miller, for 99.9% of the population, getting in that guy's car was a bad idea. But when you have Robin Miller, you've gone three miles, and I'm betting that Robin, by the end of the three miles, was not only best friends with that guy, got him tickets to the game, probably yep. pet the dog, and had treats for it. Yep, yep. It's a bad, in the time he would go to the, you know, he always had to get back for Sunday night for the TV, so he would be late at the airport. He would he would drop the rental car off at the at at, at the gate, you know, outside the airport, and, and tell the, the the Red Cat guy, hey, if you get a chance. Take this car back to the rental property. So he's, <laughs> he's probably given a couple of these, these these guys, these attendants, cars. But I tell you, somebody, what, what, maybe it was Mario Andretti said that there's only Robin Miller because, you know, they 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 broke the they broke the mold or whatever. But uh, I, I miss him every day. I go by I go by Long's Donuts in Southport. I think about going in there and getting a donut just for Robin, but. Uh, he, he, he will always be missed. Chap, I'm telling you, I, I don't know that people, and I always got a kick out of it when there would be people in the racing circles. It, and as we've talked about before, Mike, the thing that was so fascinating about Robin is he had his he had his gambling family, he had his racing family, he had his old Pacers family. I mean, it was amazing. Yep. But the I don't know that people realized, Chap, I don't know that there will ever again be – a writer or a media person in this town that had the overwhelming access to everyone like he did. I mean, he's the only guy I know 
that if he called A.J. Foyt or Mario Andretti at 3 o'clock in the morning, instead of cussing him out, they'd immediately answer the phone and go, man, what's going on? You know what I mean? And this is A.J. Foyt that sued him. Yeah. Or, yeah. or punched him or whatever. Punched I mean, him, yeah, in like 70, what, what was that? That was probably early 80s when he wrote. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why, you know, and Robin just, not he didn't care, but he, he wrote what he wanted to write. And if it, you know, pissed somebody off, well, I'll deal with that <laughs> Do you tomorrow. remember, chap, do you remember when Robin, I think he was the most proud of this, when when A.J. Foyt got out of his car one year and said, well, it's just a big old tub up, you know, blank, right? <laughs> And so Robin Miller, for the rest of the month, when listing A.J. Foyt's car, would put <laughs> TOS Copenhagen, you know, Ford El- Ilmore or whatever. And finally, A.J. Foyt said to me, you keep writing this wrong. What is this TOS? Well, it's, it's what you called it, right? And then, yeah, he slapped him at one point, and they, and then they ended up. And of course, only Robin Miller could have somebody punch him, and then end up. Those two guys were thick as thieves towards the end, right? It, 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 it's a it, like I say, he, he was a rare person. I couldn't live like he did. The way he gambled, you know, early days at the Star, you get you'd get your money, your checks, and you could have X number of money taken out to put in a credit union. I looked at his check one time, the hard check. I was like four dollars and seventy five cents because <laughs> he had everything else taken out, so he could. So you know, I have to get my condo paid for, get my car paid for. So at least he knew his limitations a little. I would love. <laughs> I would love to know the amount of money he won or lost gambling. I'll bet they're staggering amounts, and and he he just he just did things his way, which there's a lot of things he shouldn't have done. I'm, uh, I'll be the first to admit that, but one of a kind, and you know, I, I miss him every day. And it, it's probably a good thing they only made one of him because no you know it's it, hey, it's just the way he was. You didn't pay for a lot of meals when you went out with him, though. I'll tell you that no. much. Unbelievable. Uh, we, had, we, we 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 went over to Iria's, which is one of the best spots, and for for his birthday one night, and people would just come and go when they're done working and. He ended up getting stuck with like a two hundred dollar bill because people would leave like ten bucks even though they spent twenty for dinner. Oh yeah. He he cussed like a sailor about having to pay for his own birthday <laughs> dinner. So yeah. that's what you get. Chap, we appreciate the time as always. Talk to you next week. All right, Mike Chappell, WXIN and CBS four. Robin was absolutely he's right, man. One of a kind. I know listeners of this station got to know him over the years through his fabulous um interviews with jmv and man you know i I, i'll tell this story real quick and i know we're over it but i don't know what maybe we got thinking about robin there but when i first started dating shannon at some point i i I mentioned that i was friends with robin miller i was doing something and she said oh robin miller yeah i i i can't stand robin miller and i said why would you not like robin miller he's a great guy she said, well, he wrote some negative things about my dad and it upset me and whatever else. And I said, well, you should ask your dad, see if he's bothered by it. So she asked her dad and her dad said, oh, no, Robin's the best. So I said, Robin, this this girl I'm dating, you know, mad at you or whatever. And so he said, really? Oh, yeah, I know Shannon. Da, da, da. So flash forward like five years later and I say to Shannon one day, I go, so what do you got going on tomorrow at work? And she goes, oh, not much, da, 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 And then I got my lunch with Robin. I said, what? She goes, oh, yeah, Robin would take Shannon and her, like, two two coworkers to lunch, like, every other Thursday for, like, five years, like, after that. For, like, five years. They were, like, best friends. She was 
like like anybody that knew Robin, she was devastated upon his passing, obviously, but that's just how he was, man. The guy, the, literally, you didn't meet anybody that met him that didn't immediately feel like they had been lifelong friends with him. He was absolutely the best. My name is- Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. It's Jake Query, Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. It is called Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, we welcome to the company. He is the director of Purdue Knowledge, Alan Karpik from goldenblack.com to talk about the Boilermakers and their win yesterday. Alan, I'll begin right with this, and you feel free to tell me either that you disagree or to expand on why you would agree with this statement. I thought Purdue yesterday... Uh, that was a great win for them. That goes without saying. But I thought it was a win that perhaps they would not have gotten a year ago and that it showed the maturation and the versatility of the Boilermakers. What say you? I say I agree uh, wholeheartedly. I think, you know, it, it's it's somewhat simple when you look at how last year ended and how it didn't, you know, it was magnified, obviously, by the loss in the tournament and, and at the time in the tournament that Purdue lost. But certainly last year, it seemed to be that games where Edie wasn't as good, and he wasn't against Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, he wasn't the only one, certainly, uh, but th- that that made a difference. And now you're seeing Purdue. Lance Jones has made a huge difference. Braden, you know, Braden Smith's um, maturation, continued maturation, I should say, has made him uh, – uh, just outstanding. So yes, you're, I think that's a true statement to because Wisconsin's a heck of a lot better than they were last year, and that's a tough place to play. Alan, what did Wisconsin do? Like, if you were an NCAA tournament coach, and you realize that if you win your game on Thursday, that you're probably going to face Purdue on Saturday, so you tell your assistants pull the Wisconsin game, and let's see what they did against Zach Eady. It did seem that Edie was a little out of flow yesterday. Was that Zach Edie just having an off day, or did Wisconsin give him different looks than he has seen otherwise? You know, I'm not an expert at breaking down film, but I, I thought there might have been certainly some of that, but I also thought that was just a, another sign of Edie letting the game come to him. Now, you know, I, I understand he missed four free throws, and he was, what, 7 for 13 from the field, so – not as good as he has been in the past. Uh, I understand all that. But how good is Braden Smith and Lance Jones and guys being able to do things that, that, that Purdue needs to do to win? And I just think that Edie has a lot to do with it wasn't his best game. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I also just think this kid's all about winning. And uh, if it's Lance Jones, if it's Braden Smith, it doesn't matter to him. I thought in the first half it was a good sign that it's few shot, a few shots that Edie got in the first half. Purdue was still ahead in that game. They weathered the initial storm of the first part of the basketball game. And, again, these are, those are all just really, really good signs if you're a Purdue fan looking down the road. It's hard to say this after a win, Alan, because Purdue faithful are happy. Matt Painter's happy. He knows there's still stuff to clean up and making sure that they are in – tip-top shape as they pursue yet another Big Ten regular season title and beyond making a deep run into March. But the only thing that, if I'm being critical, that I saw yesterday was their three-point shooting wasn't where 
It has been throughout their body of work of the season. And a team like Wisconsin, in part due to Purdue's defense, shot worse than them, which is rare when you have an off night. The other team is also going to have an off night. Do you look at their performance from beyond the arc as more an anomaly game and it was just a tough matchup on the road in the Big Ten for points to come by from beyond the arc? Or is that something that, well, let's circle this and see how the next couple weeks of the season play out for the Purdue guards? You know, I would be a little more concerned about and this is, again, a probably short-term in basketball. As we know, the wonderful world of college basketball has its ups and downs. But I would be maybe more concerned if Purdue gets its free throw shooting back on tack- track, mainly Zach Eady. And that's really – we are nitpicking with a capital N here with, with Eady's performance uh, when you look at how he has shot free throws the last two games. He's been outstanding for the vast, vast majority of this season. No, I, I don't know. You know, it was weird yesterday. Uh, Gillis hits a three that gets called back because of a foul right in front of it. I mean, one made shot in there, and all of a sudden your percentage isn't all that all that different. I thought that uh, the biggest thing that, that I saw yesterday was produce three-point field goal defense. Now, Wisconsin, and Brian Newbert from our staff does a great job of bringing this stuff out, is not your same Wisconsin. I thought Wisconsin took some bad shots after watching the game again today. Uh, somewhat uncharacteristic to them in terms of how they handled it. They didn't turn the ball over very much, except for in the last couple minutes, but they only had, like, five turnovers. But I, I think that Purdue's field goal defense was as much of a story here. It is. There's no question. When you get down into the tournament, even in game one, look what happened last year, That those numbers 5 for 26, they will be forever uh, etched in the brains of Purdue fans and with, with what Paul Purdue shot in the – uh, game against FDU last year, but this is a team that has generally shot very well. And if it has one bad performance from three, it gets it back. How many games? Uh, you know, you're not going to see many games that Fletcher Lawyer does not attempt a three pointer. But I thought that that was a was also somewhat telling with Purdue because Lawyer's doing what he has to do on the road, get the ball into Edie, let Edie make some plays. He didn't have as many of them as he did yesterday. But when you have Lance Jones and when you have uh, Braden Smith also making plays, especially in the first half to weather that storm and then doing the job for the most part in the second half, uh, I think that that's a, that's a huge thing. And in the last nitpick is you, you want to handle the, the press better. That's always a bit of bugaboo. Not, I mean, always a concern about any team. And Braden Smith, uh, his two turnovers in the last – last minute or so he'd like to have, especially have the second one back uh, I don't think you're going to see that a lot but I think what you've seen out of Purdue a lot this year is learning from what they didn't do well and trying to adjust and make it better next game you know it's interesting when you look at their schedule I, I think we we kind of sleep on this but you know it's been kind of a a real gauntlet here for Purdue right and I guess now they get a chance to kind of sleep in a little bit maybe that's good although you think at college kids Alan that Energy isn't necessarily as critical, although I, I think it is a factor. But I want to ask you this. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Alan Karpik, that you know, Purdue's core, let's say their 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 core three, you would say certainly Edie, Braden Smith, and then who would you put as the third? Probably Fletcher Lawyer. I don't know how you go go away from Lance Jones. Uh, or Lance Jones. Well. I mean I, I, I think that and I think Lawyer and Lawyer gets some gnashing of teeth from Purdue fans from time to time. Uh, uh, but he made some huge plays yesterday. 
you know, this is a huge overstatement, and I, and I get it because there are, there are what, 13 other teams, soon to be 17 other teams in the Big Ten. But if you put, and Brian Newbert, I'll get off credit, my colleague on this, talking about Purdue's got guys, four guys that are at the all-Big Ten level. They're not all going to make first-team all-Big Ten. But I think Lawyer, Smith, Jones, and Edie are in that way. And if you, and if you somehow were able to put um, Trey Kaufman, Ren, and Mason Gillis into one body, you're pretty much at that level as well. So Purdue's got a lot going on for it. It's all going well. But uh, I don't know. I don't know how you can play a whole lot better than Lance Jones has been playing here of late. That huge three he made where he kind of had the hitch was was just uh, at a key time in the game and also a couple of his driving. And I think the other thing about Jones, and we've talked about this before, memory is a difficult thing, and there are things that you have to exercise. I think Purdue has done that. No, that's E-X-O-R, I should say that, uh, you know, based on last year. Lance Jones has no memory of that. He's just about playing. And I'm not saying that the other guys are haunted by it, but this will help them, I think, a great deal, uh, even to Cam, Cam and Heidi's of the world, too, that uh, they're moving forward. And Jones, does, it doesn't matter what happened to Purdue to Jones last year. Uh, he's going to be ready to go. And he just doesn't show any sign, any sign of slowing down uh, in tight, tough situations. And that is worth its weight in gold if you're Matt Painter and his staff. Of the complementary players, Alan, so let's say Lance, we'll put Lance Jones and Lawyer all together. So let's say there's four core pieces. Of the complementary players for Purdue, the one that has been the most consistent for them is who? Mason Gillis. I don't think there's any question about that. He, he has been – Terrific. I understand he didn't score. He, in fact, you know, you're going to look at the box score from last night, last yesterday, and if you don't pay much attention to Purdue, you say, well, wait, Purdue's got a problem with its bench. Only scored two points. Uh, Mason Gillis had a couple of free throws. But Mason Gillis made plays when Purdue had his offensive rebound late in the second half when it was getting hairy for Purdue. That is a winning play. I, I just think, I think the world of Gillis, and I think the fact that he has um, – uh, you know, not not starting. He's been starting for three years, uh, much of the last three years, I should say. And uh, to be able to subjugate yourself. And another guy with absolutely no blind, it seems like, every week, and that's Ethan Morton. Uh, I, you know, again, there are things. Ethan Morton may not be the greatest scorer in the world, but he comes in and does the job and does it. He doesn't care if he scores. And, and that's just a very, Matt Painter and staff, very lucky to have a group of guys and even Caleb first though first is certainly not playing as much of late uh, but all three of those guys have been starters in the past and they have made a huge difference on this team even though the box score doesn't always show that so then Alan of that supporting cast the other side of it would be this the one that has the most capability for them and it's a huge shot in the arm when he plays well but has the greatest potential for kind of disappearing and has been the most inconsistent amongst the supporters. Oh boy, that's I, I you know I don't I, I'm not sure there's really been anybody. You know I think I think it'll be interesting to see. And he didn't play much yesterday, though he did play a little bit. Um, is is Camden Heidi certainly is a guy that that uh, they're going to defend may depend on more defensively, especially if they have. You know, as coaches always say it's all about matchups in the NCAA tournament. It's all and, about and he's given them some quality minutes, right? So you certainly know he it's there, right? Absolutely has. He just doesn't play enough to matter. You know, Caleb first might be the flavor of the month for a guy that that just you know again he's just lost in the shuffle as much as anything. I mean, he's not been as good, 
uh, arguably, but he's just not getting the minutes that he's used to getting. Uh, and that's been the case over the last couple of years in some ways because of, because of the role of Zach Eady. So I would be hesitate to put first because I don't think it's fair to him just based on the role he's played. I think the guy that could deliver you in the NCAA tournament or in the Big Ten tournament or at crunch time that might be a little bit of a surprise to people is Heidi just because he is a defender and, as they always say, defense travels, and he may come, come in very handy with a particular matchup in, in, in an NCAA tournament game uh, where you need a little bit more length, you a little bit, need a little bit more ability to defend than Purdue might be able to have with the group it puts on the court right now. Alan Karpik, president of goldenblack.com, is our guest. Alan, we know about the scar tissue that this group in particular has developed over the last couple of seasons in March. And when you look at what they've experienced this year, of course you want to go undefeated, right? You want the perfect season. You want to win a national championship. There's no such thing as moral victories, but you can still learn and grow from struggles, from losses. You go back at the start of the season. They go out and have an impressive run all the way winning in Maui with victories over Gonzaga, who, you know, whatever, they're down year for them, but a strong win over Tennessee. They survive against Marquette. They survive adversity there. They have two losses to their name where they've experienced court storms against them. And then against Wisconsin, you have a cardiac arrest-like moment with a minute and a half to go in that game, and they survive, as Jake pointed out. That's a win they probably don't obtain in that same circumstance a year ago. In terms of what they have experienced both in the past with this group and what they've done this year and what they've fought through, even only having lost two games, have they experienced enough to be maybe not immune, but less susceptible to the pitfalls of March when it arrives? Well, Jimmy, I think anybody's susceptible to it just because they're, they're humans and, they, and they, they make mistakes. But I would agree that Purdue is much more hardened, and that just comes from a year of playing. I also think, and Zach Eady is a man of very, very, very few words, extremely soft-spoken, but I think one of the leaders, he's become, they have a lot, they have several leaders on this team, and they all seem to roll at different places. So I, I think that Eady has an edge. He's, he came back this year to play uh, at a high level. I know there might have been financial considerations, not only with NIL, but what was ultimately going to be his NBA draft status, but you've got a guy that is playing with an edge. And Braden Smith, by definition, plays with an edge. He played with an edge yesterday over chirping at the refs that I think they had to kind of move him away from the the officials a couple times. He's going to continue to play that way. Gillis has so much of that quality. I think Purdue is extremely well positioned uh, because of, yes, those those battle scars over the last uh, three years, to be honest. And that, and the inability to win in the NCAA tournament, that that weighs heavily on seniors like uh, Mason Gillis and Ethan Morton, uh, especially that were around, and Zach Eady too, that were around for those games. So it's definitely definitely a factor. Alan, I'm going to throw at you a prediction, and I want you, Alan Carpick, who knows Purdue more than anybody, to grade my prediction. I do this a lot on the program, okay. Uh, and, I, and I'm and Alan, just do so I get, do I get paid? <laughs> you do, yeah. And, and here's the thing: I, I I am a lifelong C student, so don't feel like you've got to be kind so here, much. okay? All right, all right. Um, Zach Eady, a year ago, 
when people talked about his NBA draft stock, there was discussion that he would be a second-round pick because the game has moved away from what Zach Eady brings to the table at the professional level. This year, it is a, by all account, a drier draft or one that is void of talent after a certain point. My prediction is that Zach Eady, through the process, and by that I mean the NBA combine and the private workouts and whatever else, that we are going to hear his name rise each and every week for two reasons. The first being it is a dry draft and he is a known commodity. And the second being in private workouts, Zach Eady is finally going to be able to showcase to teams that he has a shooting touch outside of five to eight feet that he's been working on privately and is definitely there for him, but it hasn't been showcased because Purdue doesn't need it to be. And once he goes through the process, teams are going to be pleasantly surprised by his offensive versatility. Your thoughts? Uh, I'll give you a B plus on that. I, I don't. I can't speak. I've seen him in practice a little bit and see that he can definitely shoot the basketball. But I think the, be- the thing that Edie has most going for him is – even they were talking about it on the broadcast yesterday at halftime, and I think Seth Davis or somebody had talked about his – I think it was Jay Wright – talked about the, his ability to tap the ball out, make winning plays, still get down the court, how much better he has gotten. He was the National Player of the Year, as everybody knows, last year, and he's much better than he was last year. I thought his one – a couple of his moves around the basket. And I think the fact that he is – his maturation age in basketball terms, and Matt Painter says this all the time, he is eight years old when it comes to basketball. I think there's a guy, I think that uh, low first round, and, I, and I'm not an NBA draft expert by any stretch, but I think that you, I think there's a high chance, especially if uh, Purdue makes a deep run in the tournament, but people know who Zach Eady is. I think they know mostly about his uh, – unbelievable work ethic and his ability to get better. And I think a team that wants to invest in him, and I don't know who that might be a really good team in the NBA that could afford to do it. Uh, I, I just think you look at him and say, boy, he might be worth the, worth our time and effort because this kid is not an old player from basketball standards. He's not burned out. He's got a lot to prove to people. And uh, I think he's also shown that he can move, especially uh, defensively this year. You've seen some things on the pick and roll. They're not doing as much of that to him. I think you see a much, much improved player. Uh, and that's hard to say from a guy that won national player a year last year, but he's a better player. And he is an absolute great kid, great person, and would be a great teammate. Do you remember, Alan, uh, we're going back 30 years ago, but do you remember A.C. Earl at Iowa? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. A.C. Earl at Iowa, who was a good player, don't get me wrong, but when he used to go up and down the floor, I used to always say his, and I said this last week, as a matter of fact, his legs to me looked like lumber. Like there was no flexibility in his legs. He, he was very laborious in the way that he moved. And I feel like Edie was that guy a year and a half ago, but no more. I mean, there was a play yesterday where he was not in screen as they were transitioning. And then all of a sudden, Wisconsin starts to set up their set. And I'm like, wait a minute, he's already down there. I mean, I think he moves with more fluidity, Alan, than, than people are giving him credit. I couldn't agree more. And he is in unbelievable condition. He just does not get tired. He is running. As they always talk about big guys, they got to run the full 94 feet or at least 90 of it. And it's a little different sometimes for guards. He is, he has shown that time and again, 
in terms of that. I totally understand one thing about the NBA. The NBA is a scorer's league. Uh, You've got to show that you can defend at a high level. Uh, you're not going to make the NBA just because you're a, you're a hard worker. But I think Vedekini's skill set is, uh, just has not reached its full potential yet. And what you see in the college game will be different than what, uh, what you might see from him in, at the uh, professional level. Alan Carpenter, goldenblacken.com is our guest. Alan, I've brought this up a couple times, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well. It's not quite a, I need a letter grade like Jake, but it's in that <laughs> same vein. If I was Zach Eady, and I was going through the pre-draft process when the season's over, regardless of how it ends, and maybe that has a factor on this question, I don't know, but regardless of how it ends, if I'm going through the pre-draft process again, and I don't like where I'm mocked, or I think that, man, again, I'm going to miss out on realizing my dreams in the NBA, I would give a hard look at my last year of eligibility. Is that at all thought about in Purdue circles? Like, hey, he technically has a year left, and maybe he comes back next year because then IL and everything else, that, that that's not a bad way to live. It's thought about. It's more dreamed about than thought about, in all honesty. I mean, it, it's not going to happen, barring – almost barring anything unforeseen. And the reason is, too, is, is the kid, uh, he was within an eyelash of going last year. Uh, I think he's I think he's a smart person. He's got his mom. They're, they're smart about how they do things. I'm not saying it would be stupid for him to come back. If it's a better financial decision, sure. But I just don't, as A, I think he's going to get picked higher than people think. And I just think he's also got a guy, if Purdue finishes its business, and what, what, what is that? I don't know, getting to the Final Four, maybe winning the national championship. Uh, I, I think his work is done here. Uh, you know, I, you never know, but I think it's more of a pipe dream than reality, and I don't, and I don't think and I, that the Purdue's coaching staff is making any plans for that to happen. Let's say they lose in the Sweet 16 then, just for the sake of it. Yeah. They lose in crushing fashion um, in the Sweet 16. Do you think that factors oh, if, in? If, 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 if 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 they lose in the Sweet 16 and and uh, he's and he's broken his ankle and isn't going to get drafted for some <laughs> goofy reason, then okay, maybe. But uh, but I just don't think that's even in the wheelhouse. I think that they're they're focusing on obviously doing what it can to get past the Sweet 16. But also, I just think his time is his time is ready for something at the next level. That would be my guess. If this guy gets hurt, Alan. We're, we're oh, taking God. this. We're taking this tape. We're burning it, right? We're burning uh, it. I mean, I, and and no one wants to put. We we don't even need to go back to produce some of Purdue's stories when it comes to that. Uh, this is a different team, and and what a show they've been putting on of late. Uh, I I just you know without and I try not to have Purdue blinders on uh, when I when I evaluate what I see, but what I see is a team that's as good as anybody. It's the best position Purdue team. Uh, uh, that I've been watching in the NCAA tournament uh, based on how they play and what they do. And the sign that it's, that's reality is like we talked about at the front end of this, this segment, and that is Purdue's ability to do things when Edie isn't perfect or when Braden Smith might not be perfect or whatever. They seem to be able to plug whatever holes they have with other guys and uh, that is an extremely good position to be in if you're Matt Painter. Alan, I got good news for you, man. They do not go to Minnesota for the rest of the year, yeah. so we are cool on that, right? We are good to go. You're, you're right. 
But he's got a good schedule down the stretch. That's right. There's no February 24th, whatever day, whatever time that was. I won't even mention that. Having Purdue fans know what happened up there. But my point is, is that, uh, right, they, they, they've got everything going for it. Uh, I think we've talked about the, the over, overused word culture, but this team's got it. Um, there's just isn't there's just nothing there that's going to be going to get in their way in terms of how they approach Saturday's game against Indiana. They're they're they know they got to win games still, uh, even though that schedule is extremely advantageous for Purdue. You know, you could almost say that uh, Gene Cato will have to change his uh, thing on the scoreboard from 25 Big Ten, 10 championships to 26. But I don't think this team thinks that way. I think this team knows it has some work to do and knows that uh, there's still some peril out there in the Big Ten. Uh, you can't take anything for granted. That might be the best thing that Purdue's got going for it. GoldenBlack.com, the website. Alan Karpik sharing his thoughts with us today. Alan, we appreciate it. As always, enjoy the sunshine. All right, yeah, hey, it is sunny in central Indiana. You can't beat that for February, but thanks so much, guys. Have a great rest Appreciate of the Appreciate it. That is absolutely the truth. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. So I think most people saw this last night. And the highlight of it, which you hear Luke Combs there, the highlight was Tracy Chapman. um, Who was you know, has not been in the public limelight for quite some time. Um, do we still have, is she about to go here? Cause she sounded fabulous. I thought. I mean, she sounds fantastic. And I looked it up and I don't think she's toured in some like 15 years, but I did not get to see that live last night because I was at an event and it was really interesting when you, Something about watching Tracy Chapman, and that song, Fast Car, is not one that I think for most people, I mean, we all, and everyone knows that song, and it's a fabulous song, and she's not by any stretch a one-hit wonder, because she also had, you know, give me one reason to stay here, and and whatever else, but I don't know anybody that's a diehard fan of Tracy Chapman, but I think everybody respects and likes Tracy Chapman, and last night watching that moment, and I didn't see it live, and I'll get to that. I said this last night, I truly mean it, and I'm not trying to over-romanticize it. There are certain times where you see a performance or you see something from someone where you realize that it's a blessing to have your life running concurrently with their moments of greatness. And I thought you saw that last night in Tracy Chapman because Tracy Chapman came out on that stage and in her reintroduction to public life, so to speak, she absolutely nailed it and she looked overjoyed to be doing so. And it was fitting that I missed it live because I was at an event last night that I am very, very grateful to have been able to attend, that my friend Emily Longnecker at Channel 13 and Rafael Sanchez from WRTV kind of helped put together along with an organization called Quality Life Indy, which is on the east side, which I have mentioned before, Quality Life Indy is a basically a day center for adults that 
have, whether it be physical challenges, intellectual challenges, you know, disabilities, but uh, a center for them to go and enjoy a quality of life. And our colleague, Jerry Wade, was the director of that facility before he would come in here to do his primary job, which was at WTLC as the lover man, the DJ at WTLC. But Jerry made such an impact on the people at Quality Life and and bringing out a life and a joy out of them that he would do a dance party and some of us in the media would go on Fridays and do a dance with the folks from Quality Life. And after Jerry Wade, who passed away a few weeks ago, um, passed away, the directors of Quality Life, which is based out of Boston, flew into Indianapolis to take to dinner uh, all of us that had helped him in that dance capacity. My my role in that, as minimal as minimal can be, but I was invited nonetheless. And in it, they played videos from Jerry where he was encouraging people to be their best, to be the best them, and that that would impact the best in bringing it out in others. And the videos that they were showing of Jerry that happened just before his untimely passing you were watching it thinking that's a guy that his life is about making people believe in themselves. And I sat there and watched those videos and saw the impact that Jerry had on the quality life and the facility itself, then got home and immediately saw the Tracy Chapman video and watched it and thought how unbelievably coincidental that I was unable to see someone at their best performing their best and bringing the best for everyone in that room because I was at a dinner that was paying tribute to somebody that did exactly that so all I would simply ask long-winded and circuitously is that at some point whether it be for Jerry Wade Tracy Chapman whatever it might be that at some point you do what you can to be the best you and bring it out in other people because all people certainly have it within them uh, we'll talk a little bit of Pacers, but the Pro Bowl was over the weekend as well. And Mike Chapel will talk about that with us on the other side. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.